Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, July 28, 2013. My name is Leah, and I'm your moderator this morning. The 12-step process of transformation is a path that leads us to a spiritual awakening. Step 12 states, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Yes, the whole point of joining Overeaters Anonymous and taking a journey through the steps is to have a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. This is an ability of a person to do, feel, and believe in ways that they were unable to do, feel, and believe before. Here to speak with us this morning on this journey through the steps is Don C. Don is a recovered compulsive overeater from New York who spends a great amount of time teaching the program of recovery, sharing his experience, strength, and hope, and carrying the message that indeed there is a solution. Good morning and welcome to you, Don. Good morning. How are you doing, Leah? Thank God I'm well. Thank you. Good, 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 good. Okay, am I on? Yes. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Don. I'm a compulsive eater and food addict from New York. Actually, White Plains, New York, as Leah said. I've been in the program since January 26, 1982, so that makes me 31 and a half years uh, as of a couple of days ago. Um, Abstinent since 1984, uh, maintaining about 180, 185-pound weight loss uh, since that time. I've never had a relapse in the program been here, never left. Um, why have, haven't I had a relapse since 75% of people do? Well, my answer is I just never left and I kept working the program. I believed in the steps from the very beginning and I have been working them and working them and working them. Uh, sometimes well and sometimes not so well, but that's the way it works. So this morning I'm going to talk about the steps and I want to emphasize uh, this is my experience in working and living steps. I'm not teaching the big book. I am showing you how I use the information there as well as in the 12 and 12, uh, AA 12 and 12 when I came in uh, to go through the steps the first time and eventually come to live the steps. By the way, um, just to give you some time, if I should say if you don't have a copy of the steps in front of you, uh, you should do that because I'll be jumping around a little bit and if you don't know the steps, you'll get lost. Second thing, if you've got a piece of paper handy, in a couple of minutes I'm going to talk about the addiction cycle, and it's always useful to do a graphic on that. So grab a piece of paper, and I'm going to suggest you make some marks on it. So uh, anyway, I'm going to give you my experience. This is what worked and works for me. Um, The steps are a change and a transformation process, as, as was read. Uh, The steps helped me transform my thinking and and my life. Um, 
the steps opened me to receive the healing grace of a power greater than myself. Uh, that's a phrase that I certainly didn't have in my head when I came to the program because I came grossly obese, suicidal, and an atheist. So you're going to hear uh, the, the the spiritual point of view this morning as I go through the steps from, from a guy who started as an atheist. Not an atheist now, but probably not a traditional religious guy either. So that's what you're going to hear. But I eventually came to see that what the steps were about is this is this uh, opening up um, by following this process, and that's a phrase that I heard a lot in the very beginning, trust the process, trust the process, you don't have to understand it, just do it, just do it, action, action, action. By following this process, I seem to open, my up, open myself up to a power greater than myself that healed. So that's what I'm talking about when I say the steps opened me to receive the healing grace of a power greater than myself. Um, I just had to take the actions, let it happen, trust the process. Um, let's uh, let's go right into the steps. I think that's probably the best best place to start. Uh, right in the doctor's opinion and in step one. And I'm going to spend a disproportionate time on steps one, uh, one, one today, and then four, five, six, seven, and then ten, eleven, and twelve. So it's not going to be. If you, if you find me spending a lot of time on one, there won't be that much time on some of the other steps. Um, disease. Uh, you know, disease is something that causes the system and the body to malfunction. That's the simplest definition. Uh, so compulsive eating is a malfunction since it's self-destructive physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Uh, for me, compulsive eating is a symptom of the malfunction, the disease. And left unchecked, like any other disease in the body, it's ultimately going to destroy me, which it almost did me. Uh, having the disease is not my fault, but it is my responsibility. So being responsible for me was choosing to take the actions uh, that have arrested the disease. Uh, for countless others and for myself. So the actions are the steps, traditions, tools, and slogans. You're going to hear me use that phrase a lot. Particularly, I will say that higher, part of my higher power is the collective collective power of the steps, traditions, tools, and uh, slogans. So in step one, I had to put down the food. I had to detox from food so that I could objectively examine my life since food was the symptom, not the ultimate problem. I had to accept that I had an incurable but arrestable disease over which willpower was useless and that I could never treat food like a normal eater, ever. So the way I say the first step often is that I have a disease over which willpower is useless. And uh, about putting down the food, you know, from 10,000 feet, this is a two-step program. One is put down the food or the substance that's, uh, that I'm addicted to, and second is to change, or as a Big book says from time to time transformation. So put down the food, change. Um, obviously, uh, both parts are not so easy, but that's what the 12 steps are all about. They're a change process, a transformation process. Um, so, the by the way, the um, on the business of putting it down, some people always say, "Do I can I work the steps while I 
am still eating while I'm not abstinent? My my experience in that is no. The uh, the big book says in multiple places uh, that we uh, have to put the food down, certainly in doctor's opinion. And then over on 143, there's a, a line that says, we must clear the mind and body of the effects of, of alcohol, of food. Clear the mind and body before we can do this work. That's a, That same page is as a quote on it that I often start to talk about the steps, and that's on 143 again, to get over Overeating or drinking or compulsive eating will require a transformation of thought and attitude. We had to place recovery above everything else. So uh, some basic definitions for me that I learned in the doctor's opinion and studying the doctor's opinion and the big book and with the help of a sponsor. Uh, I've already defined disease, a really important concept. I have it. <clears throat> it's, uh, it's not my fault, uh, but it's a condition that causes something in the body to not function right, and that's all my, my food control system. Allergy, uh, another definition, abnormal reaction to food. Uh, obsession and compulsion. Now, we're going to be talking about these in some detail here in a second. Obsession is the, an idea. My definition, shortest definition of obsessive uh, obsession is an idea that overpowers all other ideas, a persistent preoccupation with an often unreasonable or irrational idea. So an obsession is in the head. Haven't eaten, haven't drank. It's it's thinking, 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 thinking. Compulsion, on the other hand, also synonym for craving. Compulsion is different. It's an irresistible impulse. Irresistible impulse to perform, uh, again, I'm reading a definition, what's often an irrational act. So this is a physiological response. Once I take the... Um, substance, food, alcohol, whatever, into my body uh, to which I am allergic, to which I am addicted, the body takes over. The mind is no longer in control. So obsession, psychological, compulsion, physiological. I'm unable to resist. So the key word in the compulsion or craving is irresistible. Irresistible, unable, unable, unable to resist. All right, let's look at this addiction cycle uh, and the nature of the disease. If you uh, draw a circle on your piece of paper there, like a clock, large circle, we're going to do some writings around it. And what I'm working out of here is the addiction cycle in the, in the doctor's opinion. Uh, draw that circle and divide it up and put four points on there, as in 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock. So you're dividing it into fours. And then divide those two points. Between 12 and 3, you'll put a little point on the line. So I'm just using the clock. It has uh, the, the example has nothing to do with the clock. I'm just using the example to show you put where, where you put the points. So we're going to start around this now. At the top, at the 12 o'clock mark, write the word feelings. And what does the doctor's opinion use? The doctor's opinion calls it restless, irritable, and discontent. So the generic... Uh, word there is feelings. Any kind of feelings, it can be negative or positive, but that's where it all starts. Remember what it says on 23 and 64 in the big book that the, the compulsive eating, the food is the symptom, it's not the problem, because if I never pick up that first bite or that first drink, then the the uh, craving or the compulsion doesn't start. So it all starts in my head. <clears throat> We're going to go around the clock uh, clockwise now, so go over to the next point on there, which would be, say, 130 and write the word memory. Uh, 
something, conscious or unconscious, way deep in my brain, also known as the disease, speaks. It sends a message that says some memory of feeling better, uh, some memory of, a, of an altered mood from using the substance, from picking up the substance. This can be instantaneous, a microsecond, but something is there if I have the disease that sends that message to me. Go on down to the next point on the clock, the 3 o'clock point. Write the word obsession. All right, uh, the obsession now begins. Remember what I said the definition of obsession was, an idea that overpowers all other ideas. The big lie. Write the words the big lie. I began to tell myself the lies. Actually, it's the disease that begins to tell me the lie. It'll be okay this time. I'll just have one this time. What happens with the obsession, remember the definition, an idea that overpowers all other ideas. The obsession on the food, picking up the food, crowds out the memory of all of the pain that I have suffered from this problem, as well as crowds out all of the resolutions that I might have made, crowds out all of the promises I might have made to myself or to others. So the big lie begins, and it be, I begin to have that argument in my head, to do or not to do. And eventually, it often wins. And go down to the next point, 4.30 point on the, on the chart, and write in the word first bite. I now have the first bite. I have given in to the obsession. I now have the first bite with some rationalization like just one, just one. Go on down to the 6 o'clock point. And now the, write the word compulsion slash craving begins. Again, physiological response. The body is responding, and the body is responding. Uh, it wants more, and it can be more right now. It could be more a little bit later, but often for many of us, it's more right now. So one candy bar leads to the next, one cupcake leads to the next, one piece of cake to the next, one donut, etc., etc., etc. So compulsion and craving begins there at the 6 o'clock point. Go on around the cycle, the next point, the 7.30 point, uh, write the word binge. Binge. All right, I'm eating, I'm eating, I'm eating. And write the word out of control. Out of control behavior. It could be on food, it could be on alcohol, it could be on any substance, but it's out of control behavior. The word in the book, of course, is spree. So binge, spree, out of control behavior. On up to the next point on the in the circle, the 9 o'clock point, write the word remorse. Remorse, regret, guilt. This is what I'm feeling. Eventually I do stop, and now I feel the regret, the remorse, and the guilt. Go on up to the next point. Resolutions, promises, the 1030 point. Resolutions and promises. How could I have done that? How could I have done that? I will never do that again. I'll start tomorrow or whatever the resolution may be. You promise yourself that I won't do it. This is the way it was for me. And I may not. I may not for a while, until we get back up to the top of the circle again, restless, irritable, and discontent, the feelings. The feelings come again, and because I have the disease, if I've done nothing, I'm going to start the same cycle again. And I'm going to go around and round and round and round this little cycle, this model that I've drawn for you here, uh, that you've drawn, some of you, and uh, over and over and over. And like a giant auger, it's getting me deeper and deeper and deeper into the pits of disease. So it all starts with the anger, the fear, the loneliness masquerading as hunger, which leads to the obsession. The feelings 
uh, anger, fear, loneliness, whatever it may be, masquerading as hunger and obsession. So until I can break this cycle, or some power greater than, than me can break this cycle, I am caught in it. I cannot get out of it. No way, shape, or form I can get out of it. So back to my first step, I have a disease over which willpower is useless. All my willpower cannot get me out of this disease that I've modeled here. Uh, I make all the promises and resolutions up there at that 1030 point, but cannot keep them. The next time the feelings come, I'm in it again and again. So that's the first step for me, is admitting that I have this, I have a problem, I cannot solve it by myself. So as part of that, I have to identify what it is that actually causes me the problem, and that gets me into identifying the foods that are my problem. And of course, the big book, it's alcohol, so alcohol is binary, it is is or it isn't. Uh, with food, I have to go deeper and and find out exactly or get really, really honest with myself about what exactly are uh, my problems. I have to look at the foods that I know in my heart of hearts are triggers. Um, triggers for me, the ones that actually start this physiological craving. These are my alcoholic foods. Foods that I eat too much of. Foods that I never have just one of. Foods that I consciously or unconsciously turn to when my feelings are particularly unpleasant or could be pleasant. Uh, foods that call to me, comfort foods, whatever you want to call them. These are my alcoholic foods. These are the things that I have to stop. And for me, for Don, uh, that's sugar and refined carbohydrates. Those were my alcoholic foods. So I had to identify those, <clears throat> accept my powerlessness over them, and uh, form a plan of eating that took those out. I also, in my case, had to put a lot of structure into my eating. So not only did I take out those foods, but I had to go into a three meals a day uh, type of structure. That's what seemed to work, for me, work best for me. Uh, I just cannot make up my mind as I go along. I have to have a plan for each day. Uh, I have to divorce my thinking from my food plan. Um, it doesn't work otherwise. You know, Normal people decide what they want to eat as they go along. Normal people eat Normal eaters eat when they want, stop when they're full. None of those mechanisms works for me. Uh, I have to have an objective plan that takes out these addictive foods and gives me the right amount of food, uh, whatever will take me to a healthy body weight and, and prevent the craving, the addiction, from, from starting up. So that's the uh, uh, essence of the first step for me. I'm well powerless to stop. I have a disease over which willpower, determination, and intelligence are useless. Uh, I can't. I've got a problem. I can't solve by myself. There's something in my body, in my body, uh, my brain, a little motor that runs on more, 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 more. That's the that's the problem. Um, I have a disease, as I have said. I've defined obsession. I've defined compulsion, irresistible impulse. Um, and that's it. That's that's the first step. I think I will stop there. The uh, the unmanageability part of the first step, the second part of the step, uh, my life has become unmanageable. That for me was basically my life has become screwed up. My life has become chaos. Uh, all of my life in one way or another is um, is about adjusting to food. 
either seeking or hiding or not doing this or not doing that because I'm ashamed of the obesity, uh, but just making, having to make adjustments in all parts of my life um, because I have this eating problem. So that's step one. Now, step two, came to believe that uh, something could help me. Same came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Um, had, had trouble with that, again, as an atheist, remember. Uh, but I had some good, tough love sponsors in the beginning who asked me some, some, some good questions. Uh, have I been able to do it myself? Mm, well, no, not exactly. So maybe I need to open myself up to something else, another way. So came to believe that something other than me, other than my willpower, other than Don, could restore me to sane eating and sane thinking. Because obviously, as I determined in, in just defining the disease, the real problem was in my head. Yes, I had a physiological problem with certain foods, but it all started in my head. So again, as it says in 23 and 64, the eating was the symptom. But then I get addicted to the eating, so I have two problems, both physiological and psychological. So no, I hadn't been able to do it by myself. I needed to open myself to something else, a new set of ideas. One of my early definitions of higher power is simply a new set of ideas, not mine, not mine. I had a lot of word with, uh, problems with the word sanity. Um, uh, my first sponsor once said my problem was I came to the ed came to the program educated beyond my intelligence. And uh, I first thought that was a compliment. turned out not to be a compliment. He was basically saying, you know, knock up all the arguing. Did you come here to argue? Did you come here to get well? Uh, stop thinking about this. Uh, stop trying to um, uh, cut all the corners and just open your mind, open your mind. So go to the dictionary and get the simple definition of sanity is soundness of judgment or reason. Is it is it sound judgment? Is it reasonable to do things that I know are self-destructive? Um, one of the questions that I was asked and still ask myself today and others, is it is it sound judgment to say I'm not going to do something and then do it anyway? Is it sound judgment to do the same things over and over and over and expect different results? No, obviously not. So that's how I got through this word sanity. My insanity was my inability to stop self-destructive behavior, even though I knew that it was self-destructive and desperately wanted to stop. So sometimes I refer to it as suicide in slow motion. I realized that I was committing suicide in slow motion. Doctors had told me. Uh, but I was unable to stop. That's not exactly sane. So, again, in the early days, I, I used to say, restore me to sane thinking and sane eating. It's whatever works. That's the great thing about this program. Uh, I can work these steps in whatever way, I, whatever way I want. The big book is full of great ideas in the 12 and 12, uh, but I have to accommodate them to whatever my understanding of, is of a higher power. Um, Lots of examples given in the big book, but certainly in Chapter 3 with uh, Fred and, and Jim, the guy with the whiskey and the milk, and the, um, and, and the jaywalker uh, of insanity. Uh, so I won't, I won't go in, into those, but 
clearly there was insane behavior on all their parts. They they thought they had to do, had things under control, and then of course they went right back to the drinking. So um, again, back to the God thing. I, I I in the beginning again argued and argued and argued and said I can't do the God thing, and 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 I was sent to the twelve and AA twelve and twelve where it says, take it easy. Uh, the hoop you have to jump through is a lot wider than you think. You don't have to swallow all of step two now. All you really need is a truly open mind. So the step doesn't tell me I have to believe in God, only that a power greater than myself can restore me to sane eating and sane behavior, and I can define that power however uh, I choose. So... This is hindsight. I didn't realize it exactly 31 years ago when I was working these steps for the first time. But I actually was just making the people in the rooms a higher power. Uh, Unknown to me, but in retrospect, I can see that I was making the program a higher power because, thank God, there were role models in the room uh, that were, were telling stories and there were people there that seemed to be in just as bad a shape as I was now, but they weren't anymore, and they were laughing about it and and uh, showing uh, joy and recovery. And I didn't know exactly how they did that, but they gave me the hope to continue moving forward. So I let go of the arguments on the God thing in step two and three, and I'll just say that in a, in a second, really let go of those and just, followed the hope that I found in the rooms, the role models in the rooms. They were powers greater than myself. So as I look back, I can see the big book was a higher power. My sponsor was a kind of higher power. The people in the rooms were a kind of higher power. The step process itself was a kind of higher power. didn't understand it, but didn't need to. I just needed to trust it and keep going. So again, out of uh, page 27 on AA, 12 and 12, it says, the minute I stopped arguing, I could begin to see and feel. I had only to stop fighting and practice the rest of the program as enthusiastically as I could. Many a man like you has begun to solve the problem by the methods of substitution. You can, if you want, make AA itself your higher power. Here's a very large group who have solved their alcohol problem. In this respect, they are certainly a power greater than you. So that's exactly what... uh, uh, my story it's exactly what what happened to me i made them a higher power and i moved forward into step three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of god as we understood him well uh that was a lot of words that that initially scared me to death but again uh using the substitution method i was able to move through and not really get into uh figuring out the god thing I had uh, spent many years uh, of wasted time trying to figure out the God model. And even in those early years of program, I wasted a lot of time trying to figure out the God model uh, when eventually I found out you can't. Nobody knows for sure, and I'll talk more about that in the 11th step. So I remember saying to uh, my first sponsor on step three, this is brainwashing. Uh, You know, this, this whole thing is brainwashing. And he said, well, maybe your brain is dirty and needs washing. So he was, uh, he was a guy that had a lot of sobriety in AA and then had picked up the food, right? He had changed chairs on the Titanic. So he was able to keep the alcohol down, was not able to keep the food down. So he ended up 
in the OA program. So step three is about making a decision to do something. It's about making a decision to take some action. Uh, decision is illusion unless followed by action. And so if I just make a decision there, I, I have seen from time to time people just make a decision, give it all to God, and think that's it. God will take care of everything. But this is not a three-step program. Uh, it's a 12-step program. So, you know, one, two, and three prepare me to get well, but it's four through nine that get me well, and then 10, 11, and 12 that keep me well. So back to the third step, turning my thinking and my behavior over to something or someone else for guidance was what I was doing. Uh, I was no longer in charge. My ways hadn't worked. I admitted that in step one. My ways, my ideas had not worked, so I need to clear out those the best I can and replace them with a new set of ideas, which are the ideas in the program, which are the rest of the steps. So in a sense, for me, I sort of admitted myself to the OA hospital, opened my hands and my brain and said, okay, what do I do? Uh, I, I'm here. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do. You tell me what to do. And what I was told to do is work the rest of the steps. So I was the patient. I'm here to follow directions and get healed because that's I want whatever you guys got. That's that's basically what uh, the way I approached it. So surrendering for me was not giving up. It was deciding to cooperate. Uh, I decided to cooperate. That was my surrender. I decided to cooperate with this new set of ideas, um, the rest of the steps. Um, so my surrender was letting go of something and replacing it with something else. You know, my will was that I want to eat whenever and whatever I want. Nope. I had to have a structured way of eating. That was a new set of ideas. My will was I wanted to get even with all those bastards that I was angry about. It's all their fault. Nope, the program way is forgiveness. My will was it's their fault, all their fault. The program will was no, it's my responsibility. I am responsible for my disease. I am responsible for doing something about it. Not that I have it, but I'm responsible for taking the actions that will help arrest the disease. Misery is optional was one of the little phrases that my sponsor used to tell me. You know, misery is optional, it's your choice, Don. Um, my will was independence and self-reliance and defying the rules, and the program was giving me a new set that says, no, you need us. So what I did in the third step was to surrender to the program of recovery, which is the steps, traditions, tools, slogans, fellowship itself. Uh, those all collectively are a power greater than myself. So I surrendered to the program and uh, to taking the actions that are outlined in the rest of the steps. And that was my, that was my third step. Um, which brings us to step four. So as I said, one, two, and three sort of lay the foundation. You could call them the foundation of the house. Four through nine are the walls of the house. Ten, eleven, and twelve are the roof of the house, which I have to keep in good repair or the walls begin to fall away from the roof, and you know what happens then. The house falls down, also known as relapse. So going to the fourth step, and uh, here I deviate a little bit uh, from the big book. In the uh, inventory, um, inventory, inventory, made a, made a thorough and honest 
inventory of myself. You know, an inventory is about who I really am. A moral inventory is a definition of who am I really, who is Don really. In the fourth step in the big book, it, it uses the examples of uh, resentment, fear, and sex. Um, but it also he he it it talks and mentions a lot of other self-destructive thinking, such as selfishness, self-centeredness, controlling, and dishonesty. Back on page 145, Big Book says, our great greatest enemies are resentment, jealousy, envy, frustration, and fear. Uh, if you go to the 12 and 12 and search throughout that, which is what I did in my first fourth step, is to go through there, too, in addition to the four-column approach in the Big Book. The 12 and 12 talks about, in addition to the resentment, fear, and sex, it talks about self-pity, self-righteousness, dishonesty, false pride, justifying, blaming, alibying, greed, gluttony, envy, sloth, procrastination, irresponsibility, and even depression. All of these as self-destructive thinking. Um, I call them toxic. I look at, uh, I I I say that sometimes that I identified my toxic foods in step one, my sugars and refined carbs, and now in step four and five and six and seven, I'm identifying my toxic thinking and my toxic behavior because they're the same thing. They all lead me to the same place. Uh, the food, the the thinking, the toxic thinking, the anger, the resentments, the dishonesty, the greed, etc., leads me to the food, and then once into the food, I'm hopelessly caught in that cycle that we talked about uh, in the first step. So these are all just as toxic for me. So one of the things I say in the morning, by the way, I'll mention when I get to the eleventh step, is uh, "Good morning, God. Thank you for the gift of another day." Um, uh, do a couple more lines, but the next the, one of the lines I say is, grant me the um, um, power today to abstain from toxic food, toxic thinking, and toxic behavior. And then I, I name some things depending upon uh, what I'm working on at the particular time. So that's a useful concept to me, toxic food, toxic thinking, and toxic uh, behaviors. So step four. A big book, page 64, our food was but a symptom. We had to get down to causes and conditions. Causes and conditions, causes and conditions. Uh, 143, I've already quoted, to get over compulsive eating will require a transformation of thought and attitude. I have to change. So four through nine are about changing, particularly four through seven are about the internal changes. Uh, eight and nine are about cleaning up the outside, making changes there. So the fourth is all about having the courage to face myself. Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. So the fourth is about um, facing me as I am. Uh, Four is the beginning of change. Um, I use food, I used food, consciously or unconsciously, as a drug for me, again, to dull uncomfortable feelings. In a fourth, I'm searching for my part in creating the discomfort that leads me to comfort myself with food. 
So what goes on between my ears that sets me up for conflict with myself and with others that keeps me miserable and uncomfortable? I found the toxic foods in step one, as I've said. Now I'm looking for the toxic feelings. So the fourth was taking an inventory of everything on the shelves between my ears, the stuff that was okay and the stuff that needed to be thrown away. So I've already given you an indication that I didn't just do the four-column approach in the big book. Uh, I did that, but then I, I began to go deeper and look at the other characteristics, the other traits, the other shortcomings, self-destructive behaviors and thinking that were named in the big book and also in the uh, 12 and 12. Um, so all of those were, were valuable for me. Some of the stuff I looked at, uh, in addition to the resentment, fear, and sex, um, bad ways of thinking, uh, controlling and self-centeredness, uh, writing a script in my head for the way things ought to be for you and me. I called this mental master planning. In my head all the time, this movie was being generated, this mental master plan of the way things ought to go. This sounded like the stage director back in the third step. Uh, that's what it was. If things would only go this way, then everything would be great. So I was all the, all the time writing these scripts in my head for the way things ought to go for you and me. If others would simply think and behave as I know they ought to, then I would be happy and they would be happy. But, of course, no one ever followed my script. First of all, they couldn't read their mind my mind, and second of all, even if they could have read my mind, they wouldn't have gone that way. They wouldn't have done that. So I wasn't in charge. So since no one follows my script, that means that I'll always be unhappy and frustrated. So who's the enemy here? I am the enemy. So this is bad thinking. This whole controlling and self-centeredness thing, of course, is driven by by fear. Uh, blaming, blaming and self-pity. Uh, this was me in spades. It's all their fault. All their fault, uh, wrong everything. I was born in the wrong time, the wrong place, had the wrong parents, grew up in the wrong place, went to the wrong schools. I have the wrong wife. I had the wrong kids. I had the wrong job, the wrong boss, et cetera, et cetera. Poor me, poor me, poor me, poor me a drink. Uh, so there was the self-pity. There was all the blaming. I mentioned I think I was suicidal when I came to the program. Actually came into the program 30 days after climbing on a bridge over the Hudson River, Christmas Eve, 1981. Uh, obviously, I didn't make the jump or wouldn't be here talking about it today, but that was the second suicidal attempt. Um, fear, fear of what might happen, fear of conflict, fear of criticism, fear of failure, not good enough, fear of being old, sick, poor, and alone. Uh, phoniness, you won't like me if you really knew me, so I need to be, I'll, I'll pretend to be whatever I think will get me strokes. Uh, or keep, make you like me. Uh, false pride, afraid to dance because I might look silly, afraid to ask for help because I might look weak, afraid to show you who I really am. Uh, perfectionism that set me up all the time to feel miserable about myself because I, I set standards for myself that were impossible to meet, thereby, thereby dooming myself to always feel less than or a failure. Um, and I set those same standards for you, of course, so nobody ever lived up to my expectations, including me. So I was miserable, miserable, miserable. Um, and on and on, a lot of others in there. Grandiosity, I know what's best. Captain of my ship, master of my fate. 
uh, rigidity, fear of change. There was some, I, with some help from some, from some people, I also identified some basic bad thinking or, or bad beliefs. I'm not sure right the, what the right word is, but uh, things like someplace deep in my psyche was this program that said, my worth is dependent upon what you think of me, uh, which I got from my childhood. And, of course, that's nonsense. My worth is not dependent upon what you think of me. My, de- my worth is dependent upon what I think of me. But I didn't get that. So when I give you all that power, uh, that means all that, that's how I become a phony and inauthentic because I'm going to be whatever I think that you would like me to be uh, so, that, so that you think I'm a worthwhile person. Another bad thinking idea was I need everyone's approval to feel okay. Not true. Uh, another one was self-sufficiency is a virtue, again, from my childhood. Asking for help is weakness. It's nonsense. We need each other. Um, four, suffering is a virtue. You're closer to God when things are painful. Well, that may give you some idea of the Calvinist uh, Southern Appalachian background I, I came from. Uh, having fun is somehow sort of sinful. So bad ideas. Um Another one, if I'm not totally competent in everything I do, I'm not a worthwhile person. Therefore, I shouldn't do things that I can't do well. Uh, Again, bad, bad, bad thinking. Another one, my pain is caused by other people or events outside me, so I have little ability to control my feelings. Basically, I'm a victim. So that's the kind of stuff I looked at in four and five and four in those beginning days. And so I came to five, and uh, five was, all right, let's sit down and talk about all of this stuff as best I can with another person. And that person was my first sponsor, and this was about um, eight or nine months into the program. I got into steps very quickly in the program. I really, really am grateful that I was thrown into the steps immediately, Uh, and and. this wasn't taken just as a food program. Uh, they put a big book into my hands, actually. The second or third day I was uh, in the program and said, here are all the answers. Of course, being who I was, I read through the big book and then went back to my sponsor and said, okay, I understand it all, but this is a, a book that really is out of date and needs some rewriting. I think it needs rewriting and brought up to date, take out all the sexism, etc. and I'm just the guy to do it. And that was the first time I heard that expression, you know, just shut up and follow directions. Let the big book be as it is. So in the fifth step, I sat down with somebody and went through all of my writings. All, as best I could, I had looked at myself um, with all of the various traits that I've just talked about uh, from childhood on into uh, where I was. at. Four, I was 41 years old at that time. So the fifth step for me was... Um, um, a validation, I guess, that I had taken my inventory and not someone else's. And I was pretty good about that. I did a pretty good job on my mother um, and my spouse. But other than that, I was pretty much looking at myself rather than somebody else. Uh, Fifth step for me was also a cleansing process. Um, What I found, again, it's hindsight, but what happened was a lot of the guilt and the shame that I had about some of the stuff from my earlier, from my childhood where I was abused and felt guilt about it, irrational guilt, obviously. 
and uh, some other things that I'd done in my teens and early 20s. So a lot of guilt and shame. Some of the stuff that I thought I would take to my grave, uh, I told. And the guilt and shame went away. So that was a, a remarkable, remarkable process, uh, sort of rejoining the human race by opening myself up to being vulnerable. And that's what really uh, had happened. I had built a wall around myself for many years, this wall of self-sufficiency. This is the way I was going to not get hurt, not let, not let anybody in and uh, to hurt me again. And um, this wall began to crumble in the fifth step as I sat with another person and talked about my life uh, as best I could um, within the framework of these of these uh, character traits and shortcomings that we were talking about. So I began to, that wall began to come down. I began to make myself vulnerable again. I began to, again, this is hindsight, I began to trust again at that point. I had not trusted forever and ever, more than 20 years. Uh, so I had a full disclosure here of myself and my shortcomings, and it really began to change my life. It really began to move me towards self-acceptance, self-acceptance. And I later would begin to see that self-acceptance is the door that I have to go through before I can really get to acceptance of others and their own shortcomings and the things that they do. I need to forgive myself. I need to accept myself. I need to realize that I am a human being and I have good points and bad points and I do good things and I do bad things and that's the price of being human. And I can work on the things that need working on and accept me for who I am. I do make mistakes and that's just the way it is. That's the price of being human. Uh, so I, I had to accept who I was and once I accepted who I was, I could work on changing me in steps six and seven. Just as once I accepted my disease in step one, I was empowered to move forward. It's a strange thing, but admitting powerlessness, admitting exactly what I have in some way enables me to move forward. It empowers in a strange sort of way. Many paradoxes in these steps. They don't make sense other than that they work. So um, interesting things began to happen me into me in this in this fifth step, it was really, I guess, the beginning of my spiritual uh, journey. Um, I, uh, after the fifth step, it probably a couple of hours uh, I spent with this guy, and um, I, I had uh, the feeling, I didn't know exactly what the feelings were when I left the room. I went back to my own room. Uh, but I felt good, and I felt grateful, and I felt thankful. And there's a line that says, you know, the hardest time in the world for an atheist is when he's really thankful and has no one to thank. And that's really what had what hap happened to me, I guess. I was thankful and grateful and felt good about all of this cleansing process that I had just gone through. And uh, so that was the beginning of some feeling in me that today I would call some spirituality. So I came out of the fifth step with a list of my uh, major shortcomings on which I needed to work in step six and seven. And also came out of there with uh, a, a list of my strong points, my assets. And thirdly, I came out with a tentative list 
of people that I had hurt and might need to make amends to in, in steps eight and nine. So three left, assets, major shortcomings on which I need to work in six and seven that people I've hurt and may need to make amends to. So um, the um, the other story on step five that I often tell is is it's a, it's a Loch Ness joke. Um, an atheist was spending a quiet day fishing when suddenly his boat was attacked by the Loch Ness monster. In one easy flip, the beast tossed him and his boat high into the air. Then it opened its mouth to swallow both. As the man sailed head over heels, he cried out, Oh my God, help me! At once the ferocious attack scene froze in place, and as the atheist hung in midair, a booming voice came down from the clouds. I thought you didn't believe in me. Come on, God, give me a break, the man pleaded. Two minutes ago, I didn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster either. So that's a little bit what happened in my fifth step. All right, let's talk about six and seven. Five, six, five, six, five, uh, four, five, six, and seven are a package. Four and five, I identify what needs changing, and six and seven, I work on changing it. Now, in the big book, of course, you've just got a couple of paragraphs there, and you've got a short seven-step prayer. Uh, I approach it a little bit different because my conception of my life is that it's a co-creation with God. Uh, I believe God has given me um, um, free will, God has given me the power to make decisions and take actions. Uh, I'm in charge of actions. God's in charge of results. An important phrase to me. Plan my work, work my plan, but leave the results to God. So I'm not in charge, but I can make a contribution. I've been given the ability to influence what I do, how I feel, and uh, the decisions that I make. I can do all that. So I believe that I have a role in steps six and, and seven, not just simply turning it all over and saying, okay, God, these are the things removed from me. So I believe that the, pro the change is a cooperative uh, process. Uh, so for me, six and seven are about, in a way, changing bad habits to good habits. You know, my, my eating was connected with bad habits. Uh, some of them were thinking habits and others were doing habits actions that I took. So to stop compulsive eating and stay stopped, I had to replace the old bad habits with new habits. And that's my part in cooperating with God in steps six and seven. Daily practice of the new habits as best that I can. This is the way I show God that I'm truly willing to change. God changes, but I have to cooperate with him. So let me uh, let me talk a little bit more about that. Um, I believe, this is my experience, you know, I, I learned to walk by walking. I learned to swim by swimming. I learned to stop overeating by stopping overeating. I learned to work the program by working the program. I learned to be a different person by being a different person. And that brings me to seven. So I believe that I act my way into right thinking, not just think my way into right acting. I live myself into better thinking instead of thinking myself into better living. So my part in step six and seven is practicing living in the solutions. So I identified what needed to be changed in four and five, then I set about changing it in six and seven. 
I'm, sto I'm stopping something, the self-destructive thinking, and starting something else, the corresponding asset or the polar opposite of the defect. When I, when I work on living in these new behaviors, I show higher power, God, that I am truly willing to change. So, and eventually I am changed. So instead of uh, criticism, I practice acceptance and tolerance. Instead of resentment, I practice forgiveness. Instead of fear, I nurture faith. Instead of dishonesty, I focus on uh, honesty, etc. Um, I practice the new thinking and the behavior just like I would practice any other new skill. This, this shows willingness to change. Um, so when I say the seven-step prayer, I say, uh, I'm now ready that you, that you should remove all these defects of character, take, you know, take them away uh, so that I can be more useful to you and to others. By the way, that's an important point. I'm not, I'm not asking God to take these things away from me so that I can become king. I'm asking him to take them away so that I can be more useful to others. Same thing in the third step prayer. Same thing in the eleventh step prayer, which we'll come to in a few minutes. Uh, I'm asking to be more useful to God, more useful to other human beings. I'm not asking for myself. So this is not about ego. So I say the seventh step prayer, and, I, and then I say specifically, God, could you, could you help me today? And I'm read right off of my list that I have in front of me in the morning. These are in priority order for me. Uh, could you help me today to live in faith and trust rather than fear and worry? Could you help me today to live in surrender rather than trying to control and manage life? Could you help me today to live in acceptance of what is, of the natural order of things, rather than anger and resentment and wishing things were different? Could you help me today to live in love and tolerance rather than judging and criticizing? Could you help me today to live with a positive and hopeful attitude rather than a negative and pessimistic attitude? So that's what I try to do every day, and uh, that's the way I say the seven-step prayer. I put in the specifics, uh, and then I leave it to God. But the way I show God that I'm willing is by practicing these new behaviors. So that's a little bit different than you see in the big book, but that's the way it has worked for me over the over the years. Still works after all these years. That's what I do. There's uh, one more story. There's a, a wolf story that illustrates the point here. Um, about two wolves. One evening, an old Cherokee told his grandson about a battle that goes on inside people. He said, "My son, the battle is between two wolves inside all of us. One is evil. One is anger." Uh, it's anger. One is evil. It is anger, envy, jealousy, resentment, dishonesty. The other is good. It is love, hope, humility, kindness, compassion, honesty, generosity. Uh, evil versus good. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf wins? And grandfather simply replied, the one you feed. And that's what I believe in step six and seven are my role, is to feed the positive, to feed the solution. And again, back to the big book, right? If we focus on the solution, the solution increases. We focus on the problem, the problem increases. So I have a lot to do with um, 
what my life is on a daily basis. So eight and nine, um, by the way, it's 31 years later, I still say the seven-step prayer every day, and I still uh, put in whatever the appropriate things are that I need to be working on. Uh, step eight and nine are about cleaning up the past. Four, five, six, and seven, I focused on it inside of myself, looking at the bad thinking uh, as best I can see it at that time, and uh, and with somebody else's help, also known as a sponsor or others, and um, and continue working on that. It's a lifetime process. This transformation process is a lifetime. Um, there is no graduation. It's continual growth, continual change. The one thing I've found out over the years as I've gotten older is that as you get older, certain things have to change. And even if you don't want them to, you better make the change, you better make the adjustments. And that just goes along with the various pieces of life that we that we go through. So now in steps eight and nine, I'm, I'm cleaning up the past. And so we've got something called forgiveness here. Now, forgiveness in the big book is talked about. Uh, you've got the resentment uh, prayer and the uh, fear prayer. Uh, forgiveness are talked about in step four. Uh, I work on I worked on them there, but I also work on them in six and seven. And now here in eight, if I haven't really forgiven myself and others, I have to do that. Because eight says we made the list and then we became willing to make amends. And I already had that the first time through. I already had that list made from step four and five and, and valid. And now I went through it again with my sponsor. We looked carefully at all of those people. And there was one in there that where I hadn't really, really forgiven. That was my mother. And uh, uh, there was still ang- animosity there. So I, to become ready to make amends to my mother, uh, I had to forgive. And it took some doing, but over time I was able to to do that. And I needed to do that before I could sit down with her. Uh, most other things I was able to forgive in my life, uh, including myself. But as I said, I had to forgive myself for being human before I was really able to uh, go to go to her and, or any of these other, other people. But I was able to do that. Um, someplace in the literature it says, remember we can be willing to do something even if we don't want to do it. And I wasn't crazy about making amends to people apologizing for past behavior, uh, the hurts that I had caused, uh, but I had to do it. You know, hurts that I had caused harm, physical harm, mental harm, emotional harm, spiritual harm, but it does, but it is actual harm, not just thinking. I don't know somebody in amends because I just always thought they were uh, stupid or always thought they were bad people or what. Uh, it's, it's for direct harms, not just for thinking. Lying, cheating, stealing, irresponsibility, critical, irritable, dominating, selfish. Those are all out of the 12 and 12 talks about those are ways I also hurt people. So I'm looking here at everyone that I've hurt, even though they may have hurt me. And remember, 8 and 9 are about me and my side of the fence. They're not about making others feel better. They're about cleaning up my side of the street. They're about freeing me from the bondage of the past. I'm moving through this process. I've made changes inside of myself. I've begun to accept myself. And now I need to clean up the past before I'm totally free. 
And of course, in the big book after nine is where the, uh, or before we're halfway through, it says, we began to see the promises come true and then the physical promises, including the obsession being lifted. So um, that was uh, the, the, the eight and the nine for me. I By the time I scrubbed all of my amends, uh, scrubbed them with my sponsor, it came down for me to, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, eleven. Eleven amends, and, mo- and half of those were for for family. I was an only child, so I didn't have lots of brothers and sisters uh, to do this with. So it was, it was mostly immediate family and then some five or six, half a dozen people uh, that were not related to me. So I was able to do those over a couple of months' time. It was pointed out to me uh, some time, and I've used it many times since, what forgiveness is not. Uh, many of us come to the program with some real real hurts, uh, abused in one way or another. Uh, I was abused also as a child, uh, but I, had, I gave that up and was able to forgive. Uh, what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting or pretending it didn't happen. It did happen. And I need to retain the lesson learned without holding on to the pain. Uh, Forgiveness is not excusing. Forgiveness is not giving permission to continue hurtful behaviors. Forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. Uh, I was able to reconcile with my mother, who I had basically been estranged from for 10 years. Um, And I, of course, did amends with my spouse. Uh, But there was not a reconciliation after uh, on that. There was a reconciliation with my children. Uh, the ninth step with my two children who were both in their teens at that time was the beginning of a new relationship that has continued to this to this day. So that's basically, uh, I think, all I want to say about eight and nine. Uh, in nine, I'm, I'm accepting, I'm accepting responsibility for myself and for what I've done, and uh, I'm learning to accept responsibility for what I do now. So I guess step nine was the big growing up step. Okay, I take responsibility for who I am. I'm going to stand tall, make amends for those things that I've done, and from now on, I am responsible for what I do. So. That's called growing up, I guess. Um, my side of the fence I've mentioned. This is the step that leads to to freedom for me. Um, just as it, it, it doesn't always work this way for everybody, but for me, much of what is talked about in the big book is exactly the way it happened to me. And the fifth step, uh, much of what is talked about in the big book happened to me. And the same thing in the ninth step. I began to feel tremendously free after I completed these, um, the ninth step. Uh, freedom from the past, uh, freedom from the compulsion. The compulsion wasn't there. The obsession, I should say, the obsession wasn't there. Uh, it was lifted. It actually had been lifted earlier, so I'd been abstinent for a significant period of time. Um, the freedom from needing to be right or, or more than uh, was gone. 
uh, I was able to shut the door on the past and I was able to move on to a fuller, richer life, just as it describes in the big book. And that's what happened to me. So it was a remarkable, remarkable, remarkable process. And as I went through these first nine steps, taking all these actions, 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 um, I began to change. I began to come, be transformed. I began to open myself to a power greater than myself. I uh, spent lots and lots of time on that and trying to build models and so forth. And I probably have a list somewhere of 25 or 30 synonyms that I've used for higher power and and so forth. But uh, after a while, I finally decided, well, I'll call it God, and I know what I mean by this God, this spirit of the universe. So that's the most important thing. So the freedom came, the obsession was lifted, and uh, the promises of the program come, including the physical promises that are outlined uh, in the, right at, at the 10th step. So then, what do I do now? Okay, 10, 11, and 12. 10, 11, and 12, uh, sometimes people say they're maintenance steps. Now I say it's not maintenance steps. These are growth steps. 10 is basically saying I have to continue doing everything that I've been doing in order to stay, with, in order to retain the freedom that I've been given. I have to do it all. I have to do these steps all the time and eventually come to live these steps all the time, all the time, all the time. So 10 says I need to be... I need to keep growing, keep doing all these things. My disease is arrested, but it's contingent upon staying in fit spiritual condition. And so the tenth is the ongoing check of my spiritual condition. You know, so uh, big book says uh, every day we look for uh, selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And then it says when these occur. It doesn't say if, it says when. So they will occur. So that's all there. So uh, I always do that. That's on a 24-7 basis. I'm always looking for that. And I know that if I make mistakes, I have to, as the step says, make amends. I have to keep it clean as I go so I don't have to do another ninth step at any point. So I, I do a lot of different ways of, of taking my spiritual temperature here in step 10. You know, How was it living with me today? How was it working with me today? How did I do today on the character defects that I'm working on correcting? I connect my 10th step with my 7th step prayer. What was it that I mentioned in my 7th step prayer? How am I doing on that? How did I do today as a spouse, as an employee, as a parent, as a as a friend, as a son, as a, as a citizen? And of course, in the big book, in the in, in chapter 7, you've also, um, uh, in the uh, in uh, step 11, you also have inventory questions built into there, other than the selfish dishonesty, resentment, and fearful. Do I owe an apology? Have I kept something to myself which should be discussed with another? Was I kind and loving toward all? What could I have done better? Uh, so all of that is part of my 10th step work, whether you call it 10 or 11. But it's all there, keeping it clean as I go, checking up on myself, checking up on myself all the time, because... Growth is a lifetime process. I, personality change is a lifetime process. By the way, I didn't mention that, but that's the definition of spiritual awakening that kept me in the program. Otherwise, if, if there were no appendix two in the big book, I probably would not be here because that's where it, it says spiritual awakening is a personality change. It's sufficient to bring about lifting of the obsession. And so I could understand the personality change. So that kept me in the program long enough to, 
and to keep going through the steps uh, so that I, I didn't have to worry about that vague concept of God and, and whatever it was. So, um, so that's ongoing. Every day, every day, every day, 24-7, 10 step. And then making amends as I go if I have hurt somebody or have done something wrong. Which brings me to 11 step. Um, sought through prayer and meditation to improve conscious contact with God. Praying only for knowledge of His will. Only knowledge of His will. Not for my will. Knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. So, again, my life today is based upon what would God have me do? How may I serve God? Um, remember, I have a daily reprieve based upon staying in fit spiritual condition. So now my life is based upon um, looking in each part, each section of my life, what God, what would God have me do? So it says prayer and meditation. Uh, if you look at the words prayer, sought through prayer, talking, reaching out to make contact with a power greater than myself, that's the prayer. Meditation, uh, reflection, quieting my mind so I can get better acquainted with higher power. For me, I, I do two kinds of meditation. One is meditation on daily reading books. You could call that reflection if you want, but I'm actually meditating on whatever the truth is in that daily book. And then the other kind of meditation is the more traditional uh, cleaning out uh, my my brain, emptying my brain to try to make some conscious contact, some increased awareness of this higher power. Um, to improve, thought through prayer and meditation to improve. Improve simply, you know, deepen and broaden my relationship with my higher power. Conscious contact, uh, highest level of awareness with God. Highest level of awareness, means that's what the conscious contact means. His will for us, God's will, not mine. God is not Santa, not Santa Claus. I don't make a list for him and say, these are all the things I need, God, because I have these under the tree tomorrow. Uh, I have to understand his or her or its will for me. So I don't need to waste time giving God instructions. Um, the big book uh, for me is, this is the part of the big book that I follow most closely, I guess, uh, the suggestions between 86 and 88 on what to do in the morning, what to do during the day, what to do um, during the night. Uh, get up in the morning, I start out by saying, good morning, God, thank you for the gift of another day. Uh, help me not waste it. Help me use it wisely. Grant me the discipline to be productive and useful and the power to follow my plan of eating and abstain from toxic thinking and toxic behavior. And my toxic thinking examples uh, self-pity, Blaming, fear, worry. My toxic behavior examples, uh, criticizing, complaining, dishonesty. And then I use the phrase out of the big book, direct my thinking today, God. Keep it free of self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. And what do I mean by self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives? What do those mean for me? Just for Don, the uh, self-pity for me is no complaining, no grumbling, no blaming, no playing victim, uh, no uh, as soon as thinking, right? As soon as this happens, everything will be fine. Or if only thinking. If only this happened, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I am responsible for my life and for how I feel. Uh, I am free to choose. Life is unfair and insecure, and that's just the way it is. I need to make peace with that and 
living today the best I can, seize opportunities. So that's the positive side of self-pity, I tell myself. I'm responsible for my life. Uh, face it and deal rather than whining and uh, eating. Uh, dishonest, dishonest motives? Well, for me, uh, two big ones there is no denial of the fatal nature of my disease, no compromising or rationalizing about the food, and no pretending, no phoniness, no mask wearing in order to make myself look good. So I accept that I have the disease and I'm addicted to certain foods and eating behaviors. I cannot and never will be able to deal with food the way normal eaters do. I need a structured plan of eating and a way of thinking and living that keep me in fit spiritual condition. That might be the most important couple of sentences, three sentences I say this morning. And I am reading that off my my 11-step sheet here. I'll read that again. I accept I have the disease of compulsive eating and I am addicted to certain foods and eating behaviors. I cannot and never will be able to deal with food the way normal eaters do. I need a structured plan of eating and a way of thinking and living that keep me in fit spiritual condition. Important stuff for me and that's why I have it written down here. I also need to be honest with myself and others, be authentic, be who I am, keep my outward behavior aligned with my inner values. The self-seeking uh, motives, well, you know, I need to just watch out that I'm not simply seeking to get my way, my way. And I need to watch out that I'm not chasing strokes as I did when I was in the pre-program. Watch out that I'm not falling back into that excessive pursuit of approval or affirmation or love or whatever it would be. So, um, and then I, I do my plan for the day. Uh, based upon the suggestion of the big book, I lay out a, an activity plan. I lay out a food plan. And sometimes they even lay out an attitude plan. If I, and, then, uh, um, I, and then I go on through the day, as it suggests there, using other prayers as needed. Um, and that's basically what I do on the 11th step. It takes me a good deal of time in the morning to do this, but I do it no matter what, no matter what. Uh, it's a little bit like I feel that if I don't renew my subscription in the morning, it runs out sometime during the afternoon. So faith is like that for me. It's a one-day-at-a-time thing. The surrender is a one-day-at-a-time um, thing. The 11th, um, in short form for me, is find God, listen to what he would have me do, then do it. Find God, listen to what he would have me do, then do it. In the various parts uh, of my life. So my morning 11th step work is a little bit like packing for a trip. I do it in the morning and it keeps me spiritually fit during the day. It sets the tone and the attitude uh, for the day. Uh, I say multiple prayers. I say uh, uh, serenity prayer, third step prayer, seventh step prayer I've already mentioned I, and I add things. And I say, of course, the, the 11th step prayer, an important prayer for me. It's the St. Francis prayer which you find in the uh, AA 12 and 12 in the 11th step. Very, very important prayer for me. The last part of that says, uh, Lord, grant that I may seek to comfort rather than to be comforted, that I may seek to understand rather than to be understood, that I may seek to love rather than to be loved, for it's in self-forgetting that one finds it is forgiving that one is forgiven. So that's the the important part there that makes it over and over in the big book and in our literature is that our problem is self, self, self. We need to get out of self. 
But in fact, this transformation seems to be this long journey from self-centeredness to God-centeredness, from how do I get to how can I give. So it's a very different uh, basis for life. So let me, um, I also do affirmations, by the way, just as a, uh, they're helpful to me. I've suffered from depression my entire life, um, so I don't take any drugs for that. So uh, this process is important to me, and it's important to be able to uh, change how I feel by changing the sentences going through my head. That's one of the things I learned in steps six and seven. I can change how I feel by changing the sentences going through my head. So I do affirmations as part of my 11th step in the morning. Um, you know, Just for today, I'll remember that God is the foundation on which I build a successful in life. Uh, for today, I'm strong, healthy, loving, enthusiastic, faith-filled, serene, and confident. And on and on, many of those which in fact turned me from a negative charge that I wake up with sometimes into a positive charge. Um, these prayers and meditations, I, I want to add one more thing here. God's answers come in different forms. Um, in the old days, I thought God spoke in English or some other language, whatever, or maybe did skywriting. But I've, I've since come to see that I have to just keep myself tuned to the channel, uh, various channels through which God may communicate. So sometimes answers come through my mind. Uh, he might plant ideas or broaden my perspective, for example. Sometimes answers might come through my will in that he might strengthen my will or he might give me courage to do something. Sometimes answers will come through my emotions where he will calm, calm me down or comfort and sometimes answers come through um, my imagination. He might stimulate some vision. Sometimes they come through my memory. He stimulates stored memory. There have been three or four times in my life over these years where I've felt really, really touched. All those have taken place someplace out in nurture, by a, uh, nature, by a stream, or on a mountainside. Uh, something about nature and God. Uh, you forget about those moments, and then this is the stored memory that I'm talking about. I may be feeling down because, for whatever reason, and this memory of that time I was really, really felt close to God will come up. And that's that's another kind of way that God answers. And, of course, probably the biggest way that God answers prayers is through other people. I need to keep my mind open and listen and feel for what it is that other people are saying and doing. Not just listen, but you know, look for the good, listen for the good, feel for the good. Listen for what's really coming out of there. It might not be the words. It might be something else. All right. Um, every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. Twelfth step, having had this three parts, having had a spiritual awakening, we try to carry this message to others and to practice these principles uh, in all our affairs. Uh, you know, let me say one last thing I noticed in my notes here. One last thing about God. Um, well, I'll just make this part of the first 12th step, having had a spiritual awakening. Um, over over my long spiritual journey, I've slowly, ever so slowly, developed a set of beliefs uh, through prayer and meditation. But but 
it does wax and wane, and so I have to keep it up every day, every day, every day, as I said in the 11th step. Um, my definitions vary, but the one that um, is closest, I guess, to being there all the time and being solid is this force for good idea. Spare the universe, force for good. Force for good is manifested in the quiet, small voice within me. Um, after all these years, that that's still the one that, that resonates with me the most. Um, I There is this still small voice within me, this force for good, and my job seems to be stay aligned with that voice, follow that voice. Um, that's God's will, um, as best I can see it, this force for good deep, deep inside of me. Um, but the thing I wanted to say, the last thing I want to say about God is, however I define God, is God. It's the God of my understanding. Uh, no one can truly prove one way or the other. Science says I can't prove what I believe, and I say they can't prove what I believe is false. Each religion says its way is the only way, but they can't prove it either. So we're forever and ever and ever and ever and ever at an impasse. Nobody can do that. What difference does it make what my belief is, actually? It's whatever gives me comfort, strength, and direction. It doesn't have to be consistent and logical. I can call it spirit of the universe or force for good. I can say it's manifested within me as truth, goodness, and unconditional love. I can say any of these things. So God is this unseeable spirit that connects all living things. God is how things work. Whatever it is that I want to say and believe, it makes no difference. It's whatever I see. The point is, though, it's not me that ultimately I'm not in charge. I'm in charge of my actions and what I do, but I'm not in charge of results. I am not the center of the universe. I am not in control of the universe, and I need to accept that. And so for me, part of that spiritual awakening that it talks about here is coming to this understanding of this and uh, coming to know that I'm not in charge and accepting that and accepting that I seem to have been created with some reason, and that's what my spiritual life is all about. Why am I here? Why was I created? How can I align myself with God's will, God's intent for me? So, um, 12 step. Oh, by the way, the definition I like best of perhaps, one of the definitions is the AA 12 and 12 definition on page 107. Uh, spiritual awakening. He's now become able to do, feel, and believe that which he could not do before on his unaided strength and resources alone. He's been granted the gift which amounts to a new state of consciousness. He finds himself in possession of a degree of honesty, tolerance, unselfishness, peace of mind, and love, and love of which he has thought himself quite incapable. Uh, he has received a free gift, and yet he's made himself ready to receive it through practice of the 12 steps. So, um, as I said before, someplace way back there, I think, what the 12 steps did was open me up to receive the healing grace of God. And that's kind of what it what it says here. So that's the spiritual awakening part of, of 12. Then it says carry the message. Uh, well, you know, I, I don't have a choice about carrying this message and being of help to other suffering compulsive eaters. 
it's part of the recovery process. It's not optional. Um, many places in the big book it talks about this. Uh, certainly on 97 it says, helping others is the foundation stone of our recovery. So there's no choice about this. If I don't try to help others, then I will not, of course, stay in fit spiritual condition. I will eventually lose it. I have to pass on these gifts uh, that I've been given. Uh, to be clear, a lake has to have an inflow and an outflow, and uh, my my service is the outflow. Uh, the program is the inflow. The outflow is my service trying to be of help to others. So service is simply gratitude in action. It's something that I have to do. It's not it's not optional, as I said. Service is not optional. Helping others is not optional. Sponsoring is not optional. I have to do that. Um, I have to be the message, of course. Um, you know, if, uh, an example is worth a thousand sermons, so I can say a lot of words, but if I'm not living the program, then... Um, I'm not I'm not really passing it on. So let me wrap up the steps here and just say a couple of words to finish up about the, practicing these principles in all our, affair, all our affairs. Steps 2, 3, and 11 move me from self-centered, materialistic foundation to a spiritual foundation. Uh, steps 4, 5, 6, 7, and 10 were all about transformation of thoughts and attitude. Steps 8 and 9 were about cleaning up the past and taking full responsibility for who I've been and who I am today. Step 12 is about helping others. And um, through living the principles of the steps, making the world a little bit better for my grandsons. How's that, how's that for selfish? <laughs> anyway, that works, that works for me, making the world a little bit better. Practice these principles in all my affairs. Well, I'll give you two levels of principles uh, basic principles, and I, I count ten. These, these, and you'll see how these line up with the steps. Um, acceptance of my disease and my willpowerlessness over over it. Two, acceptance of the uh, steps, traditions, and tools and slogans as a way to arrest the disease and keep it arrested. Three, the need to let go of trying to arrange and control things that are not controllable. Four, the need for ongoing inventory and correction of flaws. Five, the need to be absolutely honest with someone. Six, the need for forgiveness of self and others in order to heal and stay healed. Seven, the need to clean up my part, my past and then my mistakes as I go. Eight, the need for prayer and meditation and trying to keep myself aligned with God's purpose for me as best I can see it. And nine, the need to try to help others who share my disease. Ten, a shift in attitude from self-centered to God-centered and other-centered. In other words, a mindset of love and service and all the permutations of those two words. Uh, Dr. Bob saying, love and service, love and service. For me, that's basically the purpose of life as best I can see it today. I think uh, I have another list of 20 um, principles, but I think in the interest of time, I'm just going to forego those and close here. Um, by saying, just kind of wrap up the steps, let me say a word about power. Um, I get the power, you know, I, I, I come to the program powerless. The question is, where does the power come from? Um, I get power to remain abstinent 
free from the compulsion by following the design for living outlined in the steps, traditions, tools, and slogans. That's where the power comes from. Collectively, they are my higher power. Uh, they're certainly one manifestation of my higher power. There's other things, but certainly, collectively, the steps, traditions, tools, and slogans are part of my higher power. They're a power greater than my willpower, a process of being and thinking and acting that includes a clear plan of eating, having a sponsor, studying literature, doing service, helping others, going to meetings, and living by the moral principles outlined in the program which are in reality just an accumulation of the wisdom of the ages that includes patience, tolerance, kindness, and love, right? Words out of the ninth step in the big book. Self-reflection, restitution, prayer and meditation, willingness to change, humility, open-mindedness, letting go of trying to control the uncontrollable. So in that, it's living my life based upon the model of how can I be of service to God and others rather than the model of how do I get what I want? As long as I do that, how can I be of service to God and others? Live that way rather than how do I get, get, get. As long as I do that, the compulsion stays arrested uh, as long as I live in this spiritual way. And that's really my story. I'm just, um, I keep doing this, keep doing it every way. Every day, the compulsion stays arrested, but I still have the disease. Uh, I can, whether I call myself recovered or recovering, I still have the disease. It's still there. Uh, it's physiological in my brain, and I know stop doing these things. If I stop living in this way, then that disease is there and could overtake me and send me back into the paths of depths of hell where I came from. Do not need to go back there. All right. I think I'll wrap up there. Thank you all for very much for listening. Oh, my goodness, an hour and a half. Oh, well. <laughs> Went through the steps. So that's it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Leah, and all yours. Yes. And thank you, Don, for sharing your journey through the steps. Certainly with such revealing and fascinating insights, we appreciate your time. We now invite... Those on the line, if they have any questions they'd like to direct to Don, you can do so now. Please keep it to questions in the interest of time. Uh, you can direct your question by pressing star 1 to unmute. Morning, Leah. Uh, Christina. Good morning, Christina. Go ahead. Uh, Don, recently I heard you... Um, mention when uh, you were talking about step three originally with your sponsor, he referred you to step 12, and I just thought that was wonderful. Could you possibly repeat that this morning? Uh, you're probably talking about the, uh, I was trying to figure out the the God thing, and uh, and he said, hey, wait, wait a minute, this is step three. He says, what does step 12 say? And step 12 says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, as in the previous 11 steps. And he said, that's the 12th step. You're on step three. Will you forget all this crap and move on? And that's it was, basically, it was wonderful you know, I, didn't, I, just, uh, I just had to get over trying to figure it all out and trust the process, trust the process, move forward and start identifying what it was that need changed in me in steps four through seven. I think that's well, probably what you're talking about, Christine, right? 
Yeah, that's that was my question for this morning. It was great to hear it again. Thank you so much for your service. A beautiful hour and a half. I'm, I, I pass. Thank you, Christina. Who's next? Hi, this is Abby. Abby, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Leah, and thank you, Dawn, for your service. Um, my question is about coming back from relapse. Um, when someone has relapsed, what do you recommend as far as returning to step work and how to, how to approach the steps? Where do you pick up um, after you've been in relapse? Well, uh, it depends on, on, on how long you've been in relapse. You've been in relapse for months or years, then it's a, it's a start totally over. If somebody has a slip and gets back together in 30 days and they were in the middle of step whatever, then we might pick up there, but we might need to go back and review. If I pick up a new sponsee who has uh, worked the steps with somebody else, maybe they're partway through, I always go back to the beginning. We might not need to have to spend so much time on the first step or the disease model or all that as a new newcomer would, but we need to always go back there because um, basically, you know, that getting well is about putting down the food and changing. And so if you're still fighting with food, that means you haven't changed enough. But part of that change has to do with the acceptance of the disease and getting truly honest with the food. So there are a lot of different reasons for relapse, but one of them is the inability to fully accept that I have a disease over which willpower is useless and that I, in fact, cannot use this alcoholic food ever, ever, ever again. So people have a lot of trouble with that, and they and they forget about that and don't quite accept that. So they keep going out and trying. Well, I have a little bit this time, a little bit that time, whatever, whatever. So a lot of reasons. So there is no, for me, you know, categorical answer to that. It may have to go back to the beginning, may be able to pick up where we were, but it depends. You know, uh, there's a difference between uh, a slip and a relapse. Thank you. Okay. Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the question. Anyone else? Hi, Leah. My um, name is Linda. Linda, go ahead. Hi. I just wanted to ask John, how long does it take you as a sponsor to take a sponsee through the steps? Ah, that's a really good question. The way I'm currently doing it, about a year. A year. Uh, yeah. Now, <clears throat> I have taken, I have done other ways. I have done a 16-week step program for a group of people once. Um, uh, it's, you know, you obviously don't go quite as deep or you go a little bit faster on certain things. and You have only two weeks or so to do that fourth step and fifth step. So it, it depends. My... Uh, but the way I'm currently doing it, it's it's about a year process. We we study and read from uh, the various literature, go through it page by page, do writings on each of the questions, take about a month or so to do the fourth step. Um, so it depends. I, I believe, by the way, mm. strongly in uh, getting people into the steps very fast. I also believe very strongly that it's good to get people through the steps as fast as possible, because it's a never-ending thing. So I know there's a movement. There's a movement now in the country to get people through the steps in, in you know, four weeks, eight weeks, whatever. And uh, that's not a bad, necessarily a bad thing, because it yeah, helps people know, understand I, this whole idea 
of what this is about. It's about change. Right. Go ahead. Uh, I had heard also that, you know, um, they were, some people were saying that I had spoken to that years ago when they, when they first did the steps, you know, in 1935, it was a very quick process yeah. in AA. And yeah. um, no, I was just wondering now, because I had heard that, that they were trying to go back to this, you know, quick process and, and, and you know, sort of naysaying the, the, the long periods of time that people were taking to um, get through the steps. I just wondered what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, yes. I, I say it's good to go through. Uh, I actually have somewhere on my computer here something that says, through the steps in four hours. Now, that goes back <laughs> about 50 years. So I've never done that exercise. But you know you could. You could help because every little bit helps. If people just begin to understand, if you take them through and explain it to them, identify a couple of things, they get them to identify a couple of things, they can begin to understand what this is all about. It's about a personality change. It's about a transformation. And and you can do that a little or you can do it a lot. So you can do it in a month, you can do it in a year. But, okay, uh, thank you so yep. much. Okay. Thank you, Linda. Hi, this is Carolyn. Carolyn, go ahead. Hi, um, I'm Carolyn from Massachusetts. Don, thank you so much for your share. My question is, how long do you believe that the food should be down before you start taking people through the steps, before you start step one? Yeah. Uh, I would say three weeks. It's arbitrary. As in the old days, 21 days. 21 days abstinence. Get them cleaned up. Clear the mind and the body. Drunks cannot look at themselves worth a damn. If you're drunk on food or drunk on alcohol or whatever, you can't honestly look at yourself. You're gonna you're gonna lie to yourself. So, so uh, you know, two or three weeks at least. Uh, so that's the way. I, if I'm working with a newcomer, that's what I'll do. Let's get three weeks abstinence in, following your plan, clear your head out, and then we will immediately get started. Now, in that time of those three weeks, though, we're studying stuff. Uh, we're not just doing nothing. We're we're studying beginning to study the literature. We're not formally starting on step one, but we're studying the nature of the disease. I use some some uh, uh, some pamphlets that talk about the disease and food plans and all that to help them understand during those first three weeks before we formally start on the first three step first step. Okay. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Carolyn, thank you for the question. Who's next? This is Alice. Hello, this is Barbara from New York. I heard Alice and then Barbara, please. Go ahead, Alice. This is Alice from Florida. and um, Thank you, Don. I had a question about um, the fourth and fifth step. I did, um, I went through it last year. I, I wasn't thoroughly abstinent, so I'm obviously going to do it again. But I, um, I used the sheets, resentment, fear, and sex conduct, and went through all that. But there were some things that that I had done experience that didn't have a category there. And so I thought, okay, this is not a category, then I don't need to, or maybe I shouldn't reveal these things. And I thought, um, if there's, a, <laughs> I know, I thought, there's a category that said, do you have any secrets or is there anything else that you think you need to tell? You know, that that wasn't on mine. You know, is there anything else you yeah. feel ashamed about that maybe is not on here? I would have done it, but that was like a big loophole for me. You know, don't ask, don't tell. Okay, then maybe I'm not supposed to. Then maybe that's just too revealing. And so that, so that was uh, 
that was that. But what do you do when there's some things that just, they just don't, I don't yeah. see that you I talk about it, them. Brian. You talk about our deepest, darkest, deepest secrets. That's the reason I, as when I mentioned I, I go beyond the big book model of, of the, the four columns and look at other stuff. If you if you read the the, the rest of the book and you read the uh, uh, the twelve and twelve and other literature, you'll see we're after all the stuff that's in there, all the guilt and shame that may be in there, and that it, the, this, no matter whether where it fits in any category of a sheet that you might be working off of, if you work off a sheet like that, that's the risk you sometimes run that you say, well, I don't know, if it doesn't fit, I won't put it in. And, of course, that's nonsense. And you know the answer to your question before you ask it, right? You know yeah. you needed to talk about that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff we need to get rid of. That's the stuff that wears us down, those shadows in the back of our brain that uh, eventually will get us if we don't clean them out. So you've got to clean them out one way or the other. Talk to them, talk to your sponsor about them, get, get rid of them, get rid of all that stuff. Okay. Okay. I have one more question. I don't know if I can ask another one or do I need to wait? Um, that's I'll, up I'll, to yeah. Leah. <laughs> yeah, that's Go ahead, Alice. Okay. Um, I I was really um, taken aback that you only came down to 11 amends in the ninth step. Um, I don't know. I, when I did my, my eighth step, I just, it was sheets and sheets and sheets and, you know, 75, 100 or whatever. I'm thinking, what, you know, was I, t- I mean, I just wrote down everything. I had a serious, serious problem with taking things that didn't belong to me without paying for them and and remembered all the millions of merchants and, and just, obviously, since I, I remembered all these things, they were things maybe I needed to take care of still. I mean, they were in my mind. I knew lots and lots of things and um, and was overwhelmed with that. I actually relapsed during my ninth step for lots of stupid reasons, but um, was overwhelmed with the amount of time it was going to take with doing that, with you know having a family and having a job and having a life and having to eat, and um, kind of uh, you know that spiritual experience is going to happen. That personality change after I have this ninth step, I'm doomed. I'm going to be dead before I get done with all these. So how did you get that? down to 11 i mean how i must yeah that's all i wanted to ask <laughs> two points uh that's a low number lots of people have more than that um but i started out with more than that uh you know as the big book says we go through these in detail with our sponsor uh because i might have st- i think i don't recall maybe i started out with a list of 20 or 30 uh, but then we went through them, we went through them, we went through them, we went through them, we cleaned them out, we cleaned them out, and I ended up with that 11 that I mentioned. Uh, and that's the case I do with, with a lot of sponsees. They'll start out with a big, big, big list because we're so hard on ourselves. And uh, sometimes that list can be really, really scrubbed down because, as I said, it's about actions that hurt each other, hurt some other people. It's not about uh, bad thinking about them. So... We can scrub that list down. The other comment in my own particular case is that my life, um, I didn't tell my story today, but much of my life was based upon uh, good boy type of behavior. That is, I always wanted to be a people pleaser. I always wanted to follow the rules of this is what you're supposed to do. Uh, So I had very high 
standards in many cases. So I had virtually no stealing of that or any of that kind of stuff uh, in there. I didn't have any of that kind of behavior. I was also very nice to people very, very often because I didn't. I was looking for strokes from them. So my behavior was quite different than some other people's in the program. But you know, we're all we're all different. You just have to clean up whatever it is that needs to be cleaned up. So, in my case, that was that was one of the reasons. I was not one of those people out doing um, doing things like that. Is the best best I can best I, best answer I can give. But I would say keep at it, keep at it. If you can't scrub those down, then just keep plugging away, keep plugging away, and get them done. Go ahead. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Alice, for the questions. Now we move on to Barbara. Go ahead, Barbara. Thank you, Thank you Layla. Thank you so much, Don. I understand after eight and a half years of program and numerous relapses that working, that practicing the principles in all my affairs is 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 my way to God, and and I hope I'm understanding that right. But you you broke down the steps in a different way um, in regard to the principles. Would you mind repeating those? Uh, well, the uh, my, my principles that I read out right at the very ending didn't necessarily correspond step by step, but they're they're fairly close. But there's lots of other principles. What I said, you know, acceptance of my disease, acceptance of the of the twelve, twelve, and nine as a way to arrest the disease, the need to let go of trying to arrange and control things that are not controllable the need for ongoing inventory and correction of flaws, the need to be absolutely honest with someone, the need for forgiveness of self and others in order to heal and stay healed, the need to clean up my past and then my mistakes as I go, the need for prayer and meditation, trying to keep myself aligned with God's purpose, the need to try to help others who share my disease, and a shift in attitude from self-centered to God-centered, uh, a mindset of love and service. That's what I read before. So you see, they they don't correspond step by step, but they're close. Many of those are very close. When I go when I go underneath of those and I look at some other things that I didn't didn't necessarily read, I look on my next list here, and I'll just read four or five of those. Um, Design for living, a way of thinking, approaching, framing, and dealing with reality that involves accepting acceptance of reality as it is. That's a big one for me. My recovery in this program, in a sense, was about growing up. I was an adolescent at age 42. So my recovery was growing up, accepting the world as it is, rather than the way I thought it ought to be, accepting me for who I was and dealing with it. So that first principle there is basically accepting reality. second one I have on here is facing and dealing with reality, though it may be unfair and unjust. Yeah, life is unfair and unjust. Deal with it. It just is. Uh, forgiveness of self and others. Uh, integrity, honesty, humility, being teachable and open-minded. Uh, compassionate, compassionate, not self-righteously trying to impose my thinking on others. Um, living in the now rather than the past. So you see, those are those are. If you go through and you study the literature you'll see all these ideas come out, and that's what these, this list is here. Learning to live in the now rather than the past, or pursuing usefulness to God and others rather than what I can get from God and others. So it's not just one single 
principle from each step is what's what's underneath of that and what is it talking about. So yes. this is this this comes from my experience. I didn't get all that by the way in that first year, that first time through the steps. It's just the gradual growth over the years as I began to be able to read between the lines of the big book in the twelve and twelve and you can begin to see what it was really about. It's about wisdom of the ages. It's about how to live. Maybe a set of spiritual laws, if you like. It's about how to live um, without needing to use some kind of substance to medicate ourselves. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. It's quite beautiful. And my question is, is do you, would you accept a phone call? Do you accept phone calls? I uh, would, but pretty busy. An email is better, if you like. Okay, I'd love to. Thank you. Okay. Do you want to give me your email? Or? Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, email is uh, fob, F-O-B-B, 1234, at verizon.net. Uh, that's fob, F-Frank, O-B-B, Barbara, Barbara, 1234, at verizon.net. That's right. You know what the F-O-B-B stands for? Friend of Bill and Bob. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much, Sean. <laughs> Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Thank you, Barbara. And who's next with a question? Star one to unmute. Any additional questions this morning? I'd like to ask a question. Your name? This is Go ahead, please. And then Lois. Uh, thank you very much. Um, how do I go about uh, finding a sponsor to do the steps? I started doing them on my own, and um, I kind of got stuck, and, and I haven't completed them, and I know I need to. Mm-hmm. Well, you go to lots of meetings. Uh, go to lots of meetings. Uh, look for people. Ask. Don't wait for people to say they're available. Look for somebody who has what you want and say, could you help me? Even if it's on a temporary basis, could you help me? Right? Temporary sponsors are fine. A lot of people who are sponsoring never say they're available, but when you ask, they will help if they think you're sincere. So it's it's up to you. But, um, uh, and I'll get in trouble for saying this, um, <laughs> Don't hold. don't let yourself be held back. By the, make an, don't make an excuse, I don't have a sponsor, so I can't do this. Um, do the best you can. You know That's why the big book was written. It was written because of all those people who couldn't come in contact, right, out there in the boonies someplace. They would never see Bill or Bob or any of these other people. So we wrote the big book to explain how we did it so that those people out there on the iceberg in Alaska or wherever could, could help themselves. It's nice to help people the same thing today. There's a lot of literature available that can help you uh, work on this stuff. Uh, yes, a sponsor is great, but it's not a perfect world. We can't always find a sponsor when we want them. So you can keep working on this stuff. You can keep working on the stuff and keep seeking to do it. Uh, lots of people use it as a uh, excuse. So don't use it as an excuse. Keep going. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes, the big book is is essentially a 12-step call. Uh, go ahead, Lois, with your question. Hi, good morning, Leah. Good morning, Dawn. Thank you for mm-hmm. your service. Um, my question is, you know, you 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 explained and described, you know, how you take your sponsees through the through the steps. 
Um, have you have you discovered or have you found that you know if if you um, if you wait too long or before they get to like the fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh and and uh, th- that they relapse? Have you found that that's that's a problem? Yes. That's Need to keep moving. Need to keep moving forward no matter what. Move, so move, keep- move, move. Set. Don't sit around. Don't think about it. Got to move forward. I've heard okay. somebody say, oh, a year per step, and I think that's totally nuts. Okay, so they're moving yeah. and they're not picking up the food. That's right. Great, okay. That's, yes. I know the action is very important to focus Absolutely. on Absolutely, Abs- momentum. There is focus. a momentum factor at work in the steps. Yeah, I Absolutely. know. Absolutely. Okay, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I pass. Thank you, Lois. Anyone else? Hello, this is Terry. Terry, your turn. Go ahead. Um, I listened to part of your uh, the the beating, and so I'll re re listen to it. But I was wondering if Bob, you could tell me when you are so or when you first start working with somebody and they're looking at foods that they need to take out of their or take out that they need to stop eating. How do you discern that? Well, I can't do it for them. They have to, to do it, but I ask them questions. I, I have uh, pamphlets that I use them, ask them to look at, and then I think uh, what I mentioned, uh, let me bring it back up on my screen here, I ask them to do a three-column list of foods for me. Um, I ask them to think about everything that you consume uh, everything, 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 and to construct a three-column list of all the foods that you commonly eat. Be very specific. Um, you know, don't just say vegetable, but name it and how it's prepared. Don't just say protein. Name the specific protein, say steak or chicken, fish, whatever, and how it's prepared. Don't say sugar or candy. Get very, very specific. You know, what specific candy bar, what specific ice cream, what specific donut, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, leave nothing out. In other words, to write down and divide it into three columns, everything that goes into your mouth over the course of a week or two. So then I I give them instructions for the three columns. Column A is the most important one, what you can call the alcoholic foods, um, the trigger foods, the, the, the foods that start the compulsion in the body. So foods that you know in your heart of hearts are triggers for you, foods that you often eat too much of, foods that you never have just one of, foods that you consciously or unconsciously turn to when your feelings are particularly unpleasant or pleasant, foods that call to you, your comfort foods. So those are the dangers. Those are the key ones. Way over in the right-hand column, uh, the column C, and by the way, you could call these red light, yellow light, green light if you like, uh, the green light column, the column C, the foods that clearly are not a problem for you, foods that you can take or leave, uh, clearly not comfort foods. More often than not, you don't overeat these. So what typically happens, uh, everybody has different stuff, but what typically happens is over in column A, you, you, we get so many, more often than not, not always, we get the sugars and refined carbohydrates. So I get the Snickers bars and the ice cream and the cake and the pretzels and the chips and the whatever, whatever. Those are the things that people go after. Those are the comfort foods. Those are the addictive type foods for some of us if you have the disease. 
over in column C, that green light, what usually happens is you start getting this long list of vegetables. So when I make this list for myself, on the top of that list is broccoli, cauliflower, green beans, stuff like that. Uh, those are not problems for me. Now, I realize that there are some people that can overeat in anything, but we're saying, you know, more often than not, this is the way it comes out. And so when I ask people to do this exercise and we talk about it, it helps them get honest with themselves. And this is the way I help people establish their plan of eating. Uh, and then if they have any nutritional input from their nutritionist or doctor or whatever, we look at that. But this is the way I help them get honest. I do not give somebody uh, a plan. I will help them do this and develop a plan. Then once we decide what the danger foods are, then we talk about the structure uh, and their behaviors that are, in fact, also compulsive eating behaviors because that can be a problem too. And then we look, of course, at amounts. Uh, you know, if they have 200 pounds to lose, then you have to really pay attention to what's going in there. You have to be eating a plan that's going to reduce you to uh, move you gradually toward a healthy body weight. So that's the, the, the beginning of food with people, helping them to come to this. When they come to this conclusion on their own, they own it. They have ownership of this. There's a big difference between me giving them something and them devising this with my help. They own it. It's much harder for them to be in denial after this. It's much more difficult for them to say, uh, reject it or say, no, I, I won't do that or I can't do that. It's harder for them if they own it as opposed to me giving it to them. So that's the way I work it this way. Answer your question? Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Terry. Anyone else? Kathleen? Kathleen, your turn. Uh, back to the three-column list of foods, what would column B be, Don? <laughs> column B is a yellow light. It's the sometimes yes, sometimes no. It's the foods that may not be, but sometimes might be a problem. So those are the marginal ones, and those are the tricky ones. Those are sometimes I might overeat it, and sometimes I might not overeat it. So... This is the hardest one. What happens over time sometimes is people will think, put things in column B, and then they begin to see after a while they're a problem too, and they move them over to column A. There's always, always movement. But there are some things on column B that um, um, they're not necessarily the things that you really binge on, uh, but things that you could if you don't pay attention. So they they cry out for weighing and measuring. They make the case for weighing and measuring. If I'm going to have that, then I better pay attention and only have the three ounces or the two or the six or whatever it is that I'm going to have. Right? So that's what column B is. There's always those gray foods. Eh, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. So column gray, column yellow light, whatever. The um, there is That's the difference between alcoholism and our and our addiction, I believe. Again, alcohol is binary. It is or it isn't. What seems to happen over time with foods is that our foods may change. Things may change. Things that used to be not, not be a problem can become problems. And it may go the other way, too. And one of the natural reasons for that happening is aging. And I'm 72 years old. And I have to eat less than I did. Now, that's a bitch. 
<laughs> I have to eat less. I have to pay attention to foods. Some foods that used to be a problem aren't a problem anymore and vice versa. So over time, we just have to be totally, totally, totally sensitive to what it is that we're eating and how it affects our emotions and, what, and the why we're eating these foods. Unlike alcohol, again, which is the it is or it isn't, with foods it does often move. There's some there's some things that are in concrete. Those those anchor foods, like for some of us, like for me, is sugar and refined carbs. All that stuff, <clears throat> that just is. That's poison, poison, poison. Uh, don't ever, ever, ever envision any of that not becoming poison. So I stay away from that. Abstinence for me is the most important thing in my life. It has to be. Following my plan has to be the most important thing in my life because I came out of the pits of hell. I came out of, you know, I was one step away from death when I came to this program. And I know that I have the disease. And I know that if I pick up that uh, that piece of cake at the wedding or at the party or whatever, that I run the risk of descending back into the hell from which I came. And I don't really want to go there. So... It, I have to get clear about what these foods are, and then I, I stay away from them uh, as from a hot stove, to use that phrase out of the big book. Okay? Thank you, Kathleen, for the question, and Don for clarifying that very important topic. Don, it is 1030. Okay. Would you like me to wrap up now? Or? Sure, that's fine. I can wrap up now? Okay, I will do so. Thank you, Don, again for your time and your energy this morning and helping us today on A Vision for You. There were close to 200 people who were able to attend this morning, so we appreciate your efforts. Mm-hmm. Sure. It, it, and I, I will close the meeting with the way A Vision for You always closes its meeting, and that's from page 164 from the chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.